This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And good morning, good afternoon. You are here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vet with Dr. Jeff. We're here for you. We're here for your pets. Here to answer your questions, talk about anything you want to talk about. I have a lot of shy listeners out there. I know I do because I don't hear as much as I'd like from you. So as you know, I'm always prepared to talk about something. Uh, It's never been my weak point. It's coming up with something. So um, anyway, I just want to let you know how you can get a hold of me. Very easy. The easiest, well, it's not the easiest way. The old, most old-fashioned way is the telephone, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. A better way, you can always uh, send me a quick text here at PetLifeRadio.com. Uh, ask uh, just to Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. I will get the message sent to me. We can talk that way. But the best way, the best way to communicate, um, the, the way you should get used to it, because many of you are probably doing it already with your own doctors, and you can consider me your at least Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon doctor, and that is through a direct link. You can go onto Google Hangouts. If you click on PetLifeRadio.com, go under Shows, scroll down to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, and our producer, Mark Winters, left you a very nice, long Hangout link, and you can just click on it. And or you can copy and paste and put it in your browser. That'll bring you right here. We'll see you. We'll see your pet. We can answer any questions you may have. I like to go through the news. I you know I cruise the news as I say. Um, usually, the American Veterinary Medical Association, the American Animal Hospital Association. What's new? What can affect you? What can affect your pets? Something you need to know now. I will help you get there. And then, of course, we have some other topics that I'd like to discuss. But I'm open to discussing anything. You want, and just me, from the questions I get from my clients, I know there are those of you out there that are dealing with a problem and you need some guidance. There is, as I always call it, there's the practical approach that comes from me, your general practitioner. There's the academic approach, which comes usually from the specialist. And guess what? They don't always mesh. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll help you sort of sift through things, uh, what's really important, uh, what you can do without, what you absolutely need, et cetera, et cetera. So, firstly, this thing, you know, I've been seeing, I work with a lot of rescues. And um, I noticed that there are, you know, we get, in fact, just the other day, we got two new pups, adorable, and both had parvovirus. Fortunately, they're both doing great. In fact, yesterday they got sent home. But well, there was a new virulent strain of parvo. Uh, it's circulating in Utah. It was discovered in some shelters in Moab, Utah. So just as, a, as an FYI, a warning, it's out there. And what happens is as drugs and as, well, again, we can't really treat parvo per se. It's a virus. But as the bad strains are always new mutations, if you will, and some of these don't respond as well to the supportive care that we often try to give these pets. So uh, don't slack on your vaccines or your titers. As you know, I'm a big fan of titers. I usually titer every other year. Some of the vaccines now are good for three years. You know what I do for my patients because I really do prefer titers. You can take this to your veterinarian. If they don't titer, they should be titering. So I do like this. And, I, and, I'm, and this is sort of, it's a, again, it's a practical way to handle it because I want you pet owners to start thinking about titering for distemper and parvo, uh, adenovirus. So what I do is I recommend the titer test. It is more expensive than the vaccine, granted. So what I do, and not that much more, it's probably 20 bucks more. So what I do is I will guarantee the titer, meaning that if that titer should be low, meaning we, it's time we really do need to vaccinate that dog's immune system, 
is declining to the point where it can't protect itself against parvo or distemper, distemper or parvo, what I do is I'll vaccinate for free. So, so that way you can't lose. It's better for the pet, better to not over vaccinate. And that's been working very well for me. Clients usually because of that, and they know that they're going to get the vaccine if they need it. After all, at no charge, they are more willing to go ahead and spend the extra money now to get it tighter because it's better for the pets not to over-vaccinate. But do talk to your veterinarian and uh, just think if you are in, in Utah, for sure, check your vaccine status, your pet's vaccine status. Make sure they're up to date because that's very, very important. Now, this is also new. And, and again, this is it actually struck me because I work with one of the big rescue groups that a couple of them actually are bringing dogs in from China. And, you know, on the surface, and I, and I agree, it's a great thing, especially with what goes on in China with dogs how they torture them and they eat them, they skin them a lot. It is absolutely disgusting. So a lot of these rescue groups are going to China and adopting dogs, which is great. However, this report came in, which is very interesting. When you think about it, you can see it makes some sense. And that is that when basically when you adopt a pet from another country, you're inadvertently introducing certain bacteria or certain strains of bacteria that are not common to the United States. So therefore, our pet's own immune systems may not be ready to handle them. So what's happening is we are getting some undetected, unrecognized uh, strains of diseases, and this could jeopardize the health of millions of our normal healthy pets. So the bottom line is make sure if you're working with the rescue, and I know the rescue groups I work with, that these pets are screened carefully to make sure that they don't bring in a strain of bacteria or virus that our pets have never been exposed to. You know, the way the immune system works, it needs exposure. And if it's a healthy immune system, it will make the necessary antibodies to beat that particular strain of bacteria or virus. Of course, certain antibiotics help. But when we end up with resistant strains of bacteria, it's either because of bacterial overuse or a mutation of the bacteria that is no longer working. So sometimes the bacterium itself is creating a resistant strain. And sometimes we're inadvertently doing it by inappropriate use of antibiotics, by stopping and starting and stopping and starting, not doing cultures. I mean, there are many ways that some of these bacteria become resistant, sometimes just by stopping the course of antibiotics too soon. And here's this, this scenario there. So let's say you have a million bacteria, right? All, you know, for, of a particular type, and you start giving antibiotics, and you have a 10-day course of antibiotics. And after day five, the dog is doing amazingly well. And you think, you know, I don't like giving the antibiotics. He, he fights me. I, he's hard to pill. So I'm going to stop now. But guaranteed after five days, 100% of those bacteria are not dead. In fact, which ones are still living? The ones that are living are the ones that were harder to kill or else they would have died in the first five days. So who's now alive to breed more bacteria? The ones that were still survived. So now you have, again, a full population of bacteria that need more or a different antibiotic. So what's happening is sometimes we can rate. So when you get a, a course of antibiotics from your veterinarian, very, very important to see it all the way through. Don't stop just because your pet is doing better. We're glad they're doing better, but we still want to make sure that every last bacterium is killed. So uh, anyway, keep that in mind. Here's a, a, a topic that I was going to just talk about it real quickly, but I think it might be a good one to discuss at the second part of the show. So we're going to hold this one and see what kind of interest we get. This is really cool. Surgeons at Colorado State University are doing open heart surgery. I, I did a story a couple months ago about a, a veterinarian in Japan that was uh, at the time seemingly the only veterinarian who was doing open heart surgery on dogs. And he was now coming to the States to teach the veterinary surgeons here the techniques of doing open heart surgery in a dog. Anyway, it turns out that since 1991, Colorado State has been performing open heart surgeries. But of late in the last three years, they've been doing a lot of valve repair 
instead of just valve replacement. And um, with extreme success, they've had 15 dogs in the last three years, and um, they've all gone on to do very well. In fact, they said most of the dogs are surviving the surgery. Sometimes the surgery itself is less successful as far as what it's intended to do, but that's great. So open heart surgery, the story I read was a Labrador retriever, young, 18 months old, had a, a, a congenital defect, a valve defect, and took it to uh, Colorado State. And again, they performed the surgery. The dog is thriving. He's doing great. This was also a cool story. There are so many rescue dogs out there, there's, and there are not enough avenues to deal and to help these rescue pets. So Richmond, Virginia, the city of Richmond, basically has a new program working with their emergency rescue teams for people and one of the local rescue agencies that, that the response crews get to have pets, rescue pets in the fire stations. And they basically will help get these pets find homes. But when they get back and they're stressed and there's been a lot of, you know, the potential sick people, maybe even people that have been deceased, it does help them relieve a lot of stress to interact with these rescue pets. So that is really, really cool. And um, it actually does help these pets find homes too. So uh, that's a, a great program. I love, you know, when you hear about these pilot programs in certain cities, you just hope that the rest of the country will kind of tag on and say, you know what, that's a great idea. Because I know our rescue crews, our rescue response teams get really stressed out. And I know for a fact, someone, a friend of mine's brother ultimately committed suicide because of the severe stresses that he was enduring. And um, no, it's really, really a great program. Uh, once again, we've talked about this with, you know, countless times, especially around holidays. Keep your pets away from Sago Palm. Sago Palm is extremely toxic. Even a small amount can kill your dog or cat. It's basically, it's a subtropical plant. They use it in subtropical landscaping. We don't have any here. I, when I hear about these certain plants and flowers that are really potentially toxic, whether it's going to be Diffenbachia or Oleander, you know, Chrysanthemum, I try to be very careful, not have any of those in my yard where my dogs have access to. But Sago Palm is very toxic. So um, if you have it, you want to remove it, fence it away, keep your pets away from it. If you are really into gardening and have a really lush, cool garden, very important to um, fence it and keep your pets away from it. And speaking of plant matter that could be toxic, and this is, I've heard about it, but this is, obviously when, when these news sources start reporting about it, you know it's becoming a problem. And that is blue-green algae. And blue-green algae, the early symptoms are vomiting and diarrhea, not as fatal, by the way, as sago palm. But if you know your dogs have access to blue-green algae and they start vomiting and diarrhea, very important to get them to your veterinarian as soon as possible because the key for that is early treatment. So these dogs can be saved, but be aware, stay away from blue-green algae. This was really cool. I do a fair amount of oncology. And there is a, you know, again, we talked about vaccines earlier. And one of the things that, that the, and the reason why I'm very sensitive about vaccination, especially in cats, is because cats get something, it's a vaccine-induced sarcoma. And so it's feline injection site sarcoma, they call FIS, F-I-S-S, and it ultimately is deadly. Now, I'm sure that you've probably seen the location site of vaccinations or even injections in general. It doesn't even have to be a vaccine that have been changed in cats. Why? Because if they get the sarcoma, it ultimately is going to take them. So when we used to vaccinate cats in the flank or in the shoulder blade area along the back, and they should get this vaccine-induced sarcoma, then we have a big problem. 
So now what are we doing? We're vaccinating in the thighs. Why? Really? I mean, it sounds pretty gross to people, but you may as well know why. Why? Because if they should get a fist, feline injection site sarcoma, we can amputate the leg. Because that is the treatment of choice. You can go after it and try to take out if you catch it really early. Chances are it's going to come back. Which, again, now let's go back a step further. Why I don't like to vaccinate unnecessarily. Meaning that if I can avoid a vaccine. So if you have an indoor cat, it's not going to be exposed to leukemia. Do not give a feline leukemia vaccine. If you live in a state that doesn't require rabies vaccines for cats and you have an indoor cat, do not vaccinate against rabies. Less is more. And when that vaccine is given, make sure it's given usually in the thigh, sometimes in the shoulder itself, but down below in the triceps area for the purpose of uh, amputation if needed. I know it sounds, as I said, it sounds really gross that we have to think, even think about it, but this is what happens. So very, very important when you get a vaccine, make sure that you have it done in the right place, but only give injections uh, if they are an absolute necessity because of this problem called FIS, feline injection site sarcoma. But the good news is that there is a chemotherapeutic agent, all right, it's called carboplatin. And the researchers have now seen that if in carboplatin is injected sub-Q into the area, it will kill off the sarcoma. So that is really, really cool. So again, way early in the game, they're starting to test it on dogs now with the sarcoma. And uh, of course, I will keep you posted, but that sounds really, really great. I mean, excuse me, with cat with sarcoma. Because that sounds really great that if they should get this feline injection site sarcoma and they find that it does sort of remedy to kill off this sarcoma, but they don't know whether it's part of a virus or what, but it's there. Uh, it kills the cancerous cells and that's what's important. I will keep you posted. And this is another one that they found. It doesn't surprise me. You realize the fastest growing segment of pet owning population, millennials. And 70, they say 73% of millennials own a pet and it is affecting their decisions of where to live and how to live, whether it's going to be buying or renting a condo, an apartment, a home, they want to make sure there is an area within the complex that like a dog run, like a rooftop dog run, or a yard outside the apartment building, or a house that has a yard, or a house in an area where there's a dog park really close by, you know, a couple blocks away. So interesting, if you are in real estate, and you know of such places, you might want to Make sure that you let the millennials out there know that you have a very pet-friendly apartment, home, condo, whatever. Anyway, uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about two things. What I wanted to know is I want to hear from you about your pets adjusting to back to school. And of course, I don't mean your pets going back to school, but I mean now that the house is a little bit emptier during the day, are your pets getting stressed? What to do about it? And uh, so anyway, when we come back, 877-385-8882, send me an email, Dr. Jeff, Dr. Jeff, at PetLifeRadio.com, or better yet, click on our link, PetLifeRadio.com, ask the best with Dr. Jeff, Google Hangouts, and you can join me here live on Google Hangouts. Don't go away. We'll be back after these short messages. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Everything we tried failed except the Dynavite. Pick up two bottles of Super Mega Fish Oil. Get the third bottle free. Packed with omega-3, DHA, and EPA fatty acids. Super Mega is great for your dog's immune system, healthy skin, and soft, shiny fur. Dogs love it. Try Super Omega Fish Oil. Buy two. Get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot oh. com. 
Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber here at Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. And, um, you know, one of the things, it was one of the, the um, segments that I saw, the, the news blurt, that I thought was very interesting because I'd say in the last couple of weeks, I have gotten more behavior-related calls. Now, at this time of year, it's going to be the injury because the dogs are at the park running around. You know, it's nice, nice weather and longer days, et cetera. Or it's allergies. I mean, here in L.A., oh, my God, the fleas are, are horrendous. Fortunately, we don't have a huge heartworm problem, but a terrible flea problem. And a lot of dogs are, have pollen allergies. Um, you know, occasionally we'll see, obviously, the food allergy. But these calls were all about behavior. Cats suddenly missing a litter box. Dogs acting out, barking, soiling in the house. I mean, all these things. And I'm thinking, you know, what could be the possible common denominator? It's not the full moon. So what is it that's making these animals act up? And then, you know, my hunch is, I always ask, especially with the cats, cats are, are, it's like, you know, when a cat starts to act strange, I always say, okay, what changed? You either change the food, you change the schedule, you change the litter, the brand or the type, you change the litter box location, uh, you change your hours, you got home a half hour later in the last three days. I mean, cats are so sensitive to just their scheduling, their normalcy. And as soon as something changes, trust me, they will let you know. So, uh, you know, again, when it comes to your cats, the first thing you want to think of when there's any, you know, sort of a behavior issue is, okay, it could be the most minute thing. Trust me, the most minute thing. But also dogs acting up, starting to become more destructive, urinating in the house, defecating in the house, uh, not eating, and you haven't changed a thing. And they were totally healthy or, you know, healthy a week before. So one of the things that, that we do talk about because of change, and animals are very sensitive to change. For example, when dogs present with, you know, fairly suddenly mucusy, bloody stool, they're still acting fine. They're still eating, but their stool is kind of little, has a mucus layer on it, sometimes even with blood. And I rattled down the following list. Nerves, stress, anxiety, diet, diet change, eating something you shouldn't have, parasites, of course, but an adult dog, I don't, it's not, it's not as common, but certainly young dogs, uh, very high on my list. And um, what would any kind of time a dog is stressed? This is kind of what happens. And so, we're, you know, we, we get these calls all the time. And one of the common denominators this time of year, your schedules are changed. Kids are back at school. Then once again, the house is very quiet. The scheduling is different because now you have your kids to deal with. And these and many, many dogs can be very sensitive. So in order to sort of control, well, dogs, it's a little bit easier. I mean, cats are tough because you can't, yeah, I mean, you can't put your kids in back to school and have summertime all year. Your kids would love it. And the cats would love it, but uh, that's not going to fly. But for dogs, it's you want to make that time up. It's got to be the extra walk during the day, another 15, 20 minutes of playtime at some point. Try to keep feeding schedule the same. If your kids were feeding the pets during the summer because they were home, then when they come home from school, make sure they continue to feed the pets. Try to, to map out what was different and try to make it as normal as possible. And again, it's a little late now, but uh, sometimes easing them into the change is also a good idea. So, you know, think about this next year, that if you know school is starting September 1st or whatever the case may be, maybe the last week or two of August, have your kids sort of back down their attention to the dog. 
if they were the ones taking them to the, out for the walks, you should start taking for the walk with the kids. It's sort of like a gradual change. It's like when you have to change diet. You can feed fantastic food A and switch to fantastic food B. But if you switch abruptly, you're going to have problems with diarrhea. You could see bloody stool, etc. So think of it any type you're going to have to introduce a change into an animal, into a pet's routine, whether it's an activity routine, whether it's a dietary routine, any kind of routine, try to ease them into it slowly. Now, as far as cats, it's tougher. It really is. You know, and again, the last resort for me always is the, the medications that could uh, sort of help them along a little bit. But again, as much as you can do, if it's simply the kids in scheduling, then it's going to be tougher. If you've changed anything else in their routine, then you want to change back. But try to, you know, have the kids be become more active when they are home. I know you want them to go home into the room and do their homework right away. But if you can get them to spend a little time with the cats and and maybe brush them, comb them, give them a little treat. So the cats will start feeling better again and will look forward to the time the kids come home. And again, there's got to be some normalcy there as well. When the schedules are erratic, then cats' behavior becomes erratic. So they certainly do respond to uh, the attention, the treats, reward. Uh, you know, it's hard to, you know, you're not going to take your cat out for a walk, especially indoor cats in the city. So um, you have to kind of make up that attention in different ways. But there are you know, a lot of ways to do it. If you are having issues, you want to speak to your veterinarian. If you also are having major issues, you might consider speaking to your vet about a board-certified veterinary behaviorist that might be able to give you some more suggestions, or there may even be a board-certified veterinary behaviorist in your area, and then it might be a good idea to visit, to make an appointment, a consult with them as well. So anyway, it's uh, that time. Uh, if you have any questions, please get a hold of me at drjeff at petliferadio.com. Think about visiting us again next week. If you want to talk about some topic during the week, send it to me. Um, I will uh, put it on my list and we can chat about it. Uh, for our my Jewish friends and our Jewish listeners out there, starting tonight, Happy New Year, and uh, hope you have a great new year. And uh, other than that, uh, we will uh, see you here next Sunday, same time, 9 a.m. in the West, noon in the East, and 10 or 11, wherever you happen to be in the middle of the U.S. Um, and, uh, and that's it for now. So have a great day, great week, and we'll see you next week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.